Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. All right, so we have two readings tonight. Um, Acts 7, 54 to 8, 3, and then Acts 11, 19 to 30. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And over, oh, I'm so sorry. And Saul approved of this execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made, him, made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering, the, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now over to Acts 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right, here's Simon. Thanks, Maggie. Cheers. Well, good evening again. Please keep open in front of you that, particularly that second passage, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through to 30, as we continue in our series, Unstoppable, how God uses the church to change the world. Um, Week two of part two, as we've stepped back into this book. So let me pray as we come to God's word tonight. Would you pray with me? Thanks, Father, for gathering us here tonight. Uh, Father, we just pray as we sit under your word tonight, uh, Father, that you would speak to each one of our hearts, address us, Father, by your spirit through your word, 
so that we would, each one of us tonight, see, hear, and, and love Jesus. Father, we've probably walked into this church with all kinds of things going on in our lives, some of us full of doubts, some of us anxious, uh, some of us confident. Uh, Father, some of us having had a, a, a good week, others not so good. And just we pray, Father, that you would still our minds and speak to our hearts. Uh, Father, encourage us, we pray, um, and help us to be more like Jesus for your glory and for the joy of our city. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a picture on the screen uh, of a temple called Pash Putina in Kathmandu, Nepal. Um, many years ago, I uh, travelled to Nepal uh, to go on a trek to the Himalayas. Um, it was my first overseas trip um, on my own, sort of without my family. Um, and I uh, went to Nepal via Bangkok um, and parts, other parts of Thailand. Um, anyway, I, I went on this trip basically because I, I like big things. So I wanted to see big mountains. Um, so I wanted to go and see the Himalayas. I, I'd just become a Christian as well. And so um, I was kind of, I guess, going on this journey maybe to kind of find myself a bit more. I don't know, find out what it meant to be a Christian a bit more. I don't know why I sort of thought I'd do that in Nepal. But I also thought I'm a brand new Christian. I was really excited. My life had been sort of turned upside down. And I thought, I just want to share this good news wherever I go. So I was sort of looking at big mountains, finding myself, but also wanting to share Jesus. That's kind of what I went for. And when I was in this particular spot, Pashpurinath, the biggest Hindu temple in downtown Kathmandu, I had this opportunity, right? So I'm walking through and I stopped and I started this conversation with this Hindu guy. And we're chatting and we had a cup of tea. And then he stopped and he said to me, Ah, Simon, your Christ is beautiful. And I, internally I went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is what I've come to Nepal for, to share the good news. And he's saying, my Christ is beautiful. I thought, bam, this is going to be great. And then he went on. He said this, your Christ is beautiful, but your church is despicable. And I was like, oh, that's probably not what I was expecting. I think he was probably channeling there like Gandhi, right, who said something quite similar. Um, You know, I love your Christ, but I just don't like your church. I think that's what he was saying. But if you think about that for a minute, it's sad, isn't it, that the beauty of Jesus Christ, um, the the risen Lord Jesus, should be marred by the behaviour of his followers. It's sad, and yet often the truth. Um, We know about that really, you know, in recent times. But if that's your view of church tonight, you've come here thinking, that's my view, I want you to be encouraged tonight because we're looking at a different kind of church tonight. We're looking at a church that's spoken of in the most glowing terms A church in Antioch that is the beacon of light in many ways. A church that had the Word of God, the Spirit of God, had the people of God. A church that had limited access to money, virtually no status in society or in its culture, no clever marketing techniques, no fancy websites. These Christians, right, in Antioch, they were harassed. They'd been run out of Jerusalem. They found themselves constantly under the threat of persecution. And yet God graciously blessed their efforts. I reckon this is a church that that we here at City Light Church North Adelaide can learn from. Not reproduce exactly what they were doing. I don't think that's the idea. I don't think that's Luke's intention. But we can learn from this church. We're told in this passage, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, I don't know if you caught it, that the disciples, followers of Jesus, were called Christians first at Antioch. 
Antioch was a place, right, a city in our real world where followers of Jesus lived in such a way that they could be given the name of Christ. They could bear his name. There's all sorts of reports, right, that the name Christian was used in sort of as an insult or a bit in a derogatory fashion initially by others around the church. But here were men and women so clearly reflecting the life and love of Jesus that they were deemed worthy of the name of Christ. So really all I want to do tonight as we look at this church is, is actually think about four things, draw out four things we can learn from this church. The first thing is that to the church at Antioch, the Christians at Antioch told the good news to everyone. They told the good news to everyone. So we stepped back into Acts last week, chapters 10 and 11. We started looking there at this climactic moment in the history of not just the church, but of the world. Up until that moment uh, in world history and in the history of Acts, the, the truth of the one true and living God really was the exclusively made known and revealed to Israel, to the Jewish people. But last week, with the coming to faith and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Cornelius, an Italian centurion living in Caesarea by the sea, and a bunch of his family and friends, the sign had been given that the damn wall had been broken and the flood of the good news could now go out to the ends of the earth, fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that programmatic verse from the, in this book. So take a look with me, Acts chapter 11, verse 18. So Cornelius is saved, the Spirit's poured out on him and a bunch of others. Um, news gets back to Jerusalem, they're a bit, oh, I don't know about that, you know, like people from the nations following Jesus. Oh. Peter describes and he says, the Jews, after Peter described what had happened, said, they praise God. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And the significance of Antioch is... Well, in Antioch, here is the first church that we know of where it's recorded that the good news was reaching both Jew and Gentile, Gentile being people from the nations. Check it out. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that's why we had Maggie, I had Maggie to read out Acts chapter 7 and 8, that last little bit, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Wow. So good. Here's a couple of pictures. This is downtown Antioch. If you, well, you know, it doesn't look exactly what it was, but that's, that's it, right? Some pretty neat streets and some pretty interesting kind of mostly crushed buildings. But anyway, that's Antioch. Antioch was a massive city, third biggest city in the Roman Empire of its time. Um, it was a busy city. It was a cosmopolitan city, people from all different parts of the world coming and going, trading, all that sort of stuff, a very cosmopolitan place. Antioch would soon become the city where the Apostle Paul would base most of his missionary journeys out of. It's kind of amazing, right? You know, Paul, Saul, right, who we read of, was there when Stephen was killed, this wonderful Christian preacher. When Saul's there kind of ordaining this execution of Stephen, and what happens? The church is scattered all over the place. This church in Antioch will then become the place where Saul, who now becomes a Christian, will base all of his missionary work. It's quite a miracle. It's amazing, this unstoppable work of God. 
But here's Antioch, this cosmopolitan city, Jews and Gentiles living there in great numbers. And we see in verse 19 that some Jews who were forced to flee Jerusalem because of Stephen's martyrdom brought the message about Jesus Christ to Jews living there. But others, Greek-speaking Christians from Cyprus and Phoenicia, they began to speak to Greeks also. They told them the good news about Jesus, that Jesus had died to take away their sins. Jesus had risen from the grave, crushing sin's curse, which is death, offering anyone, through faith in Jesus, forgiveness of sins to all who trust in him. In other words, between them, the Christians in Antioch realised that Everyone needs to know about Jesus. They realise everyone that everyone needs to become a Christian in order to receive forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. So they just welcomed everyone. When it says in our passage, verse 23, that Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God in this church at Antioch, I take that to mean he saw the gospel being lived out. Jew and Gentile worshipping together really happily, where it didn't matter, you know, whatever your background was. It didn't matter about your race, your class, your accent, your status, your intellect, or even your age. It didn't matter. Because at Antioch, right, if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were your family. Just as Jesus had welcomed people from every background, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, adult or child, if you were prepared to receive and accept Jesus on his terms, they were family. It's so often said, isn't it, that Christianity is exclusive. And in one sense, Christianity is really exclusive because there is only one name given to human beings by which we must be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other side, on the other hand, it's, it's, I think, the most inclusive and diverse religion on the planet where you can have people from any background, any race, any ethnicity coming together around the one person, Jesus Christ. You know, if you, if you think about Islam for a minute, in order to fully understand Islam, you need to be able to speak Arabic because you, you, the only way you can really understand the Quran is if it's in Arabic. I love the fact that the Bible, the original language of the Bible is translation, yeah? Like it's, it's a book that can be translated into any language so that any people group, any person can read the word of God and come to know and love and be saved by the Lord Jesus. Everyone is welcome. And so it was at this little church plan in Antioch, first century. They were reaching out to all kinds of people and all kinds of people were being, were being welcomed into their church. And I want you to notice that really interesting detail. This wasn't, we're not talking about, you know, apostles here doing the work of telling people about Jesus. As far as we know, the people at this church in Antioch were just ordinary men and women, ordinary men and women, do, women doing extraordinary things. People with no special training in the word of God as far as we know, you know, a bunch of people who hadn't all received supernatural visions of sheets coming down from heaven with various things on them, like Peter got last night in order to inspire him to take the gospel to the nations. No professionals, no programs, no fancy pretty pamphlets. These are just ordinary men and women with day jobs, doubts and debts sharing Jesus. 
Ordinary people. And I think it was just a case of them gossiping the gospel or what I like to call inspired opportunism. They just found themselves, actually not just found themselves, God sovereignly superintended that they got thrown out of Jerusalem, landed in this city of Antioch, and they just were gossiping the gospel. Inspired opportunism. And I wonder, perhaps that's happening in your life right now. Perhaps God is placing people in your life, giving you opportunities to gossip the gospel, inspired opportunism. I don't know if this fits into the category, but I might have shared this already, but a bunch of weeks ago, after church one Sunday night, I, I don't think I was after an ice cream. I think my children wanted an ice cream. Um, so I got home, parked the car, walked around the corner to the service station, and I happened to be talking to the girl behind the counter. She said, how was your day? And I said, I actually had a great day. I was at church. Oh, yeah. Is that, what, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, right. What do, you, what do you talk about? Talk about Jesus, you know? And she's like, oh, and she's like, I've never read about Jesus. And I was like, wow, that we should we should remedy that, you know? Like we should, you know. So what I I didn't really do anything about it. I just walked home with to quickly get the ice creams back before they melted. Um, I stopped at home, gave the ice creams to Stella and Sebastian, then went, I'm going to give her a copy of the Bible. So I grabbed a copy of the Bible off my bookshelf and ran back to On the Run and gave it to her with a note in it saying, start here, Mark's Gospel, read it. You know, I'll catch up with you. And we're having an ongoing conversation. I don't know, is that, I think that was like inspired opportunism. Got an opportunity to gossip the gospel. And maybe that's what God is doing in your life. He's placing Muslim people. He's placing Hindu people. Perhaps a not yet Christian in your shoot group at university, a neighbour, a work colleague. People you've grown to know and people you've grown to care about such that you perhaps want to share the good news with them. You know, I wonder as well how many opportunities we might miss as God's people in this place because we're kind of looking for that great moment or that I need more training moment rather than just gossiping the gospel. You know, look at verse 20. All that God asks us to do is tell people the message. That's the strategy for mission, right? Many of us, right, we, I'm the same, we worry about what people might think of us if we talk about Jesus with them. We worry about causing offence or, you know, we're ever, forever questioning our approach to how we might do it better. But what strikes me about this church in Antioch who are telling the good news to everyone is, is just about the simplicity and effectiveness of their approach. It's pretty clear they lived in a similar place to us, a pluralistic culture, many religions, many faiths, many backgrounds, all kinds of people, but they just simply present the good news of Jesus and look for a response. Notice that? They didn't have two ways to live. They didn't have the navigator's wheel. They didn't have Alpha. They didn't have Christianity explored or explained or whatever it is these days. They had the gospel. And because it's the gospel, that's the power of God. Verse 21, the Lord's, people, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They just told the good news and trusted God would provide a response. And wouldn't it be great, right, if church here, City Light, North Adelaide, that would be our mandate to, to individually, collectively, corporately present Jesus, who he is to people in North Adelaide and beyond. And, and Trust God will provide a response, you know, and do that here on Sunday nights, do that in our DGs, do that in our homes. That's how this little church plant in Antioch kind of just boomed because they just 
talked about Jesus. They gossiped the gospel and trusted God would give a response. So that's the first thing we learn about the church in Antioch. Um, they told the good news to all people, unnamed, ordinary men and women, gossiping the gospel. Secondly, did you notice how the church at Antioch was full of the grace of God? They were full of the grace of God. Have a look at verse 22, chapter 11. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's it's a great moment. This church in Antioch, reaching all people, welcoming all people. News gets back to Jerusalem. Something's going down in little old Antioch, and they send Barney. We've met Barnabas before. I called him Barney, the really encouraging bloke, when we looked at him last time. His name means son of encouragement, and he is such an encouragement. All the way through Acts chapter 4, we just were introduced to his just beautiful generosity of spirit. Acts chapter 9, Saul gets saved after killing Christians, and the apostles are like, don't know, he sounds a bit dodgy. Who stands up for him? Barney. He's all right. Let's let him in. Barney was just a, he was always on the lookout to encourage and build up, and he was never into pulling down and critiquing unnecessarily. See in verse 22, news gets back about the gospel. They send Barney. Now, Jerusalem, right? Let's think about Jerusalem for a minute. Jerusalem is apostolic HQ. Peter and John and Philip and all those guys are hanging out back there. All the heavyweights. Pretty stiff, pretty rigid, you know, all a bit traditional back in Jerusalem. So many of the conservative Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem are a little bit suspicious of what we're hearing coming out of Antioch. Greeks and Jews are eating together. Gentiles are coming to know Jesus and they're not needing to be circumcised. And the services down in Antioch, they're a bit more relaxed and chilled out, you know, a bit more contemporary, far less synagogue liturgy than we should have, you know, normally expect. So what happens? They send Barney down and he sees for himself all that's going on. Jews and Greeks together singing, How Great Is Our God by Chris Tomlin. I don't know, something like that. We read that, what do we read? He was glad when he saw what was going on. Can you say that with me? He was glad. Yeah. He saw evidence of the grace of God at work. He saw lives being changed. He simply encouraged them, remain true to the Lord. Remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. Barney could see that this church, what had happened? They'd got the main thing right. There was evidence of the grace of God. They'd begun well. They were happy in the Lord Jesus And so Barney's concern was just like, fan that into flame, be positive. Keep them focused on the good things that God was doing in their lives. Now, if you're anything like me, though, it's easier, I think, in context of churches to kind of, well, pick holes, find faults, to hone in on the, why isn't this happening around here, or why aren't people doing that? To glory in our weaknesses, you know, to come into church and notice that paint that's still peeling on the wall, you know, the gatherings, they're too long, you know, our songs, they're too old, no, our songs are too modern, there's not enough liturgy, no, there's too much liturgy, money's tight, fewer and fewer people seem to want to get involved, rah, 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 you know, whatever, I don't know, you know, perhaps you're here tonight and you feel... I don't know, you feel a bit let down by the leadership of the church? 
Maybe you, you feel a bit let down by a particular leader. Maybe you, you're here tonight and you feel let down by me. If that's you, then you're probably right on every account. But if you can tonight, why not allow yourself to be encouraged? Give me permission to, to be encouraged tonight. I mean, just look around. Like, literally, look around. Front and the back. Look around. Left and right. I, I don't know. 70 people here tonight, maybe, thereabouts. You know, meeting here on Sunday nights regularly, committed to one another, committed to serving Jesus, having a common goal. That, that is, this is no small thing that we have here. You know, most of my extended family... Don't follow the Lord Jesus. They're not yet Christians. They actually believe that this city would be better off without any Christians in it, actually. You know, like, get rid of the church. They think the fact that I'm a pastor, I don't know, I love to be in... Like, I hope this, no, this is being recorded, but I imagine, like, you know, if only I could be a fly on the wall and listen to what they might say about me behind my back. They love me. That's nothing. But, but when, they, when they visit church which is not very often, but when they get to see for themselves the vibrancy, the life, the togetherness, the attractiveness, the warmth of Christians hanging together, they're, they're often gobsmacked. You know, all their stereotypes are just kind of challenged at every level. So if, for all our many faults here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, this week, can I encourage you to allow yourself to be encouraged? Be thankful. Be thankful for all that God has done, is doing, and we, God willing, will do among us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. We do, I suspect, and this is for myself, I think we do need to be more thankful than we actually are. Here's a, a good word from uh, William Temple. He says this, it is probable that in, the most, that in most of us, the spiritual life is impoverished and stunted because we give so little place to gratitude. It is more important to thank God for blessings received than to pray for them beforehand. For that forward-looking prayer, though right as an expression of dependence upon God, is still self-centered in part, at least, of its interest. There is something we hope to gain by our prayer. But the backward-looking act of thanksgiving is quite free from this. In itself, it is quite selfless. Thus, it is akin to love. All our love to God is in response to his love for us. It never starts on our side. We love because he first loved us. May we be a, a church marked by thankfulness and gratitude and so be a church of encouraging one another. You know, look at verse 24. Um, did you know Barnabas is the only guy in all of the book of Acts to be described as good? No one else gets that kind of description. But I don't think it's any surprise, right? Here at the church in Antioch, as they saw the evidence of the grace of God, they were full of grace, that there was this atmosphere of love and grace and welcome that was hugely attractive and brought many people to the Lord. So we've learned tonight. The church at Antioch told the good news to everyone. They welcomed all people. Secondly, the church was full of grace of God. Thirdly, notice, the Christians at Antioch were hungry to be taught the word of God. And there's a picture on the screen 
of what I think it might have looked like at downtown Antioch. There you go. Hungry for the Word of God. It's a bit fatuous, but there you go. I'm hungry for the Word of God. Have a look at me. Chapter 11, verse 25. Barnabas, upon seeing this church, falling in love with this church, sent, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barney recognises there's great stuff going on in this brand new church plant in Antioch that had been scattered and built upon the back of suffering and persecution. He goes, I think they need, to, I, want to, I want to solidify this thing. So he goes and gets Paul from Tarsus to help teach the word of God. Now Saul, who then becomes Paul, you'll remember, um, earned his stripes. He was a great teacher of the word of God. Chapter 9, verse 22, after his dramatic conversion, Saul grew and grew more powerful, baffling the Jews living in Jerusalem by proving that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 29, he's talking and he's debating with the Grecian Jews They didn't like him very much. They tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of that, they went, quick, Saul, pack your bags. They got him out of Jerusalem and took him up to Caesarea and put him on a boat to Tarsus. So Barney heads to Tarsus personally to find Saul, to bring him to Antioch, to teach the the men and women at Antioch the word of God. Remember what Barney had exhorted the church to do back in chapter 12, verse 23? He said, He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He saw evidence of the grace of God. Remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. You see, many churches, right? Church plants even. They begin well. But in later times, they crumble and they can wander from the Lord. Heaps of churches in our city which are just racked with immorality. They've abandoned the scriptures. People in churches who, who come and push their own agenda, which, which isn't what the word of the Lord is actually telling us to do. We hear of churches being seduced by worldliness, practices that are out there creeping in and pushing out the word of God. And all these things just kind of rock the foundations of the church. Barnabas is, is wise enough to realize that what this little church plan in Antioch needs is Solid, humble, consistent, spirit-empowered, faithful teaching to to keep these brand-new Christians on track. Now, whatever you do, right, don't make the mistake of thinking that this stuff about teaching and building people up in the Word is like an an extra or an optional extra on something. Like, you know, you buy a brand-new car and you go, "Mm, do I get the sunroof or not? Like, that's not what it is. This is... Any of us as Christians here are going to stand firm. If any of us are going to change, if any of us are going to make progress in the Christian life, if we're going to stay on track, if we're going to be witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ in North Adelaide and beyond, then we need sound, timely, faithful, humble Bible teaching taken by the Holy Spirit and driven into our heads and our hearts and our our bones. There's got to be consistent, spirit-filled, sound, powerful, Christ-centered, humble teaching, equipping us all to keep going. This is what Saul provided along with Barnabas. It's what we need here, perhaps more than anything, at City Light Church North Adelaide. Solid Bible teaching, week in, week out, DGs, here in the gathering. 
so we can grow, progress, and be healthy and persevere. You know, I'm always impressed by older saints in the faith um, who, you know, even in old age, go on wanting to learn more and more. Um, At the last church that I was serving at, uh, there was an elderly lady there. Her name was Judy. Um, I love Judy. Um, She's well and truly into her 80s. she often would tell me, like, she doesn't look like she's in her 80s. I'm like, mm, I didn't say that to her. But, you know, um, lovely woman. Um, incredible, right? Like, I got to pass to her. She had multiple health problems. I would quite regularly, along with others, pop in to see her and just check on her and make sure she was going okay. She was incredible, right? She used to borrow books off my bookshelves. She used to listen to old sermons on, you know, those things called cassette tapes. She had those. Um, uh, you know, she, and what I loved about her, right, you'd walk into her house and it was a very... It was a very basic home. But you'd walk into her house and the pride of place in her house was this little desk about you know, twice the size of this lectern and that was her Bible reading devotion desk. And it was kind of movable so it could go wherever she went depending on her ability. And on that was a, a Bible open all the time with notes and cassettes and all sorts of things around. And, you know, I, I remember one day she said to me, Simon, I've had quite a week. And I'm like, okay, right. You know, how was that? I've been to the GP three times, been out of hospital once, but I've learned this about God. I've learned that about God. I've been reminded of this about the Lord Jesus. Incredible. She struggled to walk. Her balance was rubbish. Her back was a mess. And yet she still was keeping on learning about the God who'd saved her and laid his life down for her. Nonstop. Why? Because like all of us, we can never plumb the depths of the word of God. We can never plumb the depths of the impact of the cross that it has on our lives and the lives of everyone in this world. She was gripped by the word. Christians, we need teaching. And we need to make sure that the curve of learning in our Christian life is not tailing off, but it's on its upwards way. So that's why we encourage people to join a DG, to come to the gathering. Because here and there, you will hear the word of God taught, you'll study it, you'll grow, and it will strengthen your bones and grow you into someone who can persevere. So fourthly, finally, soup is on the way. Finally, the Christians at Antioch helped their brothers and sisters in need. The Christians at Antioch told the good news to everyone, were full of the grace of God, were eager and hungry to be taught, and finally helped their brothers and sisters in need. Have a look at verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and by Saul. So, During the first year or so of this church plant uh, at Antioch, some some prophets arrived and one named Agabus predicts that there's going to be this famine in the future. Now, it's interesting, right? Agabus predicts by the Spirit there's going to be this famine hitting Judea in the future. And we hear about this a couple of times in the book of Acts, by the way. But interestingly, right, the prophet Agabus stands up by the Spirit, says this famine's coming, but he does not say to the church, and therefore this is what you should do. He just kind of drops it and says, there you go. 
He doesn't say, here are what you should do. Here's some helpful tips, what you might, how you might respond. What they decide, I think, is utterly remarkable. Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Now, I say it's remarkable because this is such a young church. You hear it said, right, that the last thing to be converted in a person is their wallet. But here, right, these Christians, they turn to Christ and they are so concerned about their brothers and sisters, by the way, living miles away. One of the first things they decide to do as a church, as individuals, is take up a voluntary collection for the relief of these Christian brothers and sisters living 500 kilometres away for a famine that hadn't even happened yet. This was not a wealthy church. It was a bunch of ordinary people run out of town, on the run, fearing for their lives. And actually, as you read through the New Testament, so many churches in the New Testament are poor and desperately trying to survive themselves, but out of their poverty, give for the needs of others. It's remarkable. The mark of their practical love, grace-fueled love, it's not that they just don't, they don't just give, but they actually give their two lead pastors to kind of take off and take the collection to their place on their, on their behalf. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ here at North Adelaide, I, I think this for us is where perhaps the rubber really hits the road. It's true that we need to be welcoming of all people. It's true that we need to be telling the good news to all people. It's certainly true that amongst us we need to be developing a Christ-honouring culture of love, looking to encourage and build up others. And of course it's essential that we continue to learn and grow and are eager and hungry to be sitting under the word of God. But Perhaps it's in this final area where there's an opportunity that God has given us to, to really, really excel in grace. And that might be, you know, we've heard tonight, excelling in grace through giving generously to the work of compassion. You know, out of our abundance, some of us maybe out of our poverty, giving to God's people around the world on Masbate. Perhaps through your giving, you may want to consider becoming partners here at this church as we seek to make Jesus known in North Adelaide and beyond and even to the ends of the earth. Maybe that's what's stirring in you as we think about these generous Christians in Antioch. But please, I'm not asking you to give to the work of the gospel here or through compassion if you can't afford to, verse 29. Nor am I asking you to give if you don't want to, seriously. God only wants us to give what we can give cheerfully and not under compulsion. But do note that whatever you do give out of love to God and to our Christian brothers and sisters is actually investing in eternity, laying up treasures in heaven where nothing will devalue, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. It's interesting, actually, right here in Acts chapter 11, we have the purest expression of Marxist or socialist principles set out 18 and a half centuries before Marx ever coined the phrase, from each according to his ability and to each according to his needs. And you know, I think for Luke, the author of the book of Acts, 
It's this response to the good news of Jesus Christ of the people in Antioch that he really wants to draw our attention to. And I'm not just saying that as a pastor, right? I'm saying that because I think that's what Luke's doing. I mean, it's almost Luke is saying to us, guys and girls, as you read this, do you notice the, the real supernatural thing that's going on here in the church at Antioch? You know, he's not saying, you know, it's not so much these prophets who come down and speak prophecies and foretell the future in the power of the Spirit. The real power of the gospel at Antioch is that it's turning people from being selfish sinners into selfless sharers. Luther, right, one of my famous, the guys I love, who's no longer with us, but Luther, I think he once said, um, what happens to us when we reject God is we, this thing happens, it's called incurvatus inse. That's the only Latin I know, which is man turned in on himself. That's what, that's what sin does to us. It turns us inwards. It's all about me. But when we crash into the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not a phrase in Latin, but I say what happens is it's out, it's out cavatus outse. There you go. We, we get turned out. Love for God, overflowing in love for neighbour. It's what's happening here in this little church The true miracle of the gospel, evidence here, is that of a new heart available to all people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A new heart available to you and to me that turns us into generous men and women who sit loose to our stuff for the good of our brothers and sisters near and far and for others as we're able to do it. So four things we learn tonight from this church at Antioch. They told the good news to everyone. And they welcomed all people because the gospel is for all people. They exuded the grace of God. There was just evidence of the grace of God and they were encouraging each other. They were thankful people. They were hungry for the word of God. They, they never missed DG. They never missed a gathering. I don't know. But they, they, they loved the word of God. They loved to be taught and they helped their brothers and sisters in need. These early Christians, right, they modelled to us the Christian life. Their trust in the Lord Jesus overflowed in words of life and acts of compassion as they grew more and more and more to be men and women captured by a better vision. We are not the church at Antioch, right? We're the church at North Adelaide. City Light Church, North Adelaide, if you haven't realised that. But guess what? We have the Word of God, the same Word of God. We have the same Holy Spirit. And we have grace-changed people of God. Let's pray and ask God that he might instill these things in us by his spirit, that we might do some damage for the kingdom together and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the picture we have here of this church at Antioch, this church plant, young, uh, gripped by the good news of Jesus. Men and women, ordinary men and women, Uh, without status in culture, without status in the world, but status with you. They knew they were beloved children of you. And so they were committed, Father, to to living lives that were less about themselves and more about you and your mission. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be like them. We recognise that thousands of years have passed and we're not looking to become and turn back the clock and be them. But Father, the same word of God is what we have in our hands. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And we are a people, Father, that belong to you. 
and Father, that you've set apart to be in this place. So Father, we pray that you'd use us to make Jesus known, to go him better. And Father, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.